We can go as long as we want tonight. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Parents are always yay. Okay. Set up here. I um, tell you a joke. Um, and I'll tell you why I'm doing this in just a minute. There's a reason for it. If you ever get anything from me that looks like canned meat, don't open it. It's spam. Okay? And I'm doing that because Gary told me, uh-oh, that's another one that Lynn Garrett will get a hold of. And so I'm saying it publicly now, so I take it out of Lynn's arsenal. And all God's people said, you're welcome. You're welcome. Okay. So anybody know what psalm we're in? 107, very good, very good, 107. And we're going to go to uh, verse 33. And uh, this is one of those um, things we're going to talk about that kind of has a contemporary uh, thought to it, something that we need to know. And something that your children, your grandchildren, especially on college campuses, but it doesn't have to be there, it's pretty much everywhere now they deal with, and that's this whole idea about radical environmentalism, uh, global warming, global cooling, climate change, they have to call it now. When I was in uh, grade school, they talked about global cooling. And they told us in our weekly reader. How many of you remember weekly readers? That there was so much pollution in the air that it was going to block the sun, and as a result, the sun's rays could not get through. The polar ice caps were going to expand, and we were going to enter into an ice age. But by the time I was in my late 20s, it changed, and it said, Oh, no, all of these greenhouse gases from the pollution are going to intensify the sun's rays. We're going to have a hole in the ozone layer. Remember that? And the sunlight is going to come through unfiltered and we're going to have global warming. And the global warming is going to cause trouble in the oceans, trouble with our ecosystem. It's going to affect our weather patterns and it also is going to melt the polar ice caps. See, before they were going to get bigger. Now they're going to get smaller. And uh, there were some people that were even saying by the year 2000, we wouldn't have any ice on the uh, poles. And what's going to happen to all of that ice? It's going to melt and it's going to flood our coastal cities. New York City and places like that are going to see water. Beaches are going to be gone. All of those kind of things. And we've heard all kinds of things in between. Well... We've heard people say by the year 2000 all this would happen. Some people saw it coming much sooner than that. And uh, so as a result of these uh, predictions that didn't come true, now they've changed it and you've noticed they don't call it global cooling or global warming, but they call it climate change. That's everything, okay? They don't have to be tied down to anything, anything that happens. If there are two more tornadoes in Oklahoma this year than there were last year, climate change, if it's hot and dry, climate change, if it's rainy and wet, climate change, I mean, it's, it's a no-fail thing. Now, one of the things that they say about all of this is who is responsible for climate change? Anybody know? What's that? 
We are. Yeah, humanity. We're causing climate change. And we're destroying the earth. Okay? And uh, as a result of this, uh, the first Earth Day was back in 1970. Okay? 52 years ago. I feel like I need to sit down now. Because I can remember 52 years ago. I was, I was 10 when it, when it happened. Man, makes you feel old, doesn't it? And there has been such a, I call it worship of the environment since those days. That it is exactly that, idolatrous. Idolatrous. And we look and we see people that are scared to death. We see people that are worried about all of this, people that believe all of this, and they do it because they don't have a God in whom to trust and to rest. Now, we'll talk about that in just a little bit, but this psalm, the verses we're going to look at tonight, verses 33 through 38, answer this question for us because we have to think about it biblically, biblically. If the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, inspired, eternal, sufficient Word of God, it is, then you've got to look at everything through the eyes of the Bible. And whatever contradicts the Word of God is just flat out wrong. And there are so many people today that um, believe in uh, this radical environmentalism that there are a lot of people, especially younger people, that are afraid. They're afraid that they're not going to get all the way up into adulthood. They're afraid that they're not going to enjoy life because the planet's going to end, and it could end at any moment, and they have professors and other people telling them it could be within a decade or less, and so they're afraid. There are some people that take all of this, and they go the opposite way with it, and because they're so aggravated with it, they forget all about the idea of stewardship. And uh, they go radically the other way, like they want to actually destroy uh, the resources that we have. Some people don't care. And then you have uh, things like this. Our country, just not long ago, was energy independent and actually exporting energy. I never thought I would see that in my lifetime because I kind of came of age a little bit, not quite, but a little bit in the uh, oil shortage. And I can remember we were stationed in San Francisco during that time, 1973. And we would pull up to the PX gas station and there'd be a sign there that said, no gas. There'd be another time we'd pull up and it said, if your tag is on, uh, ends in an even number, you can buy gas today. If not, you have to buy it tomorrow. Odd and even. Remember any of that? I remember times when you could only buy a certain number of gallons of gas. And the price of gas was just going through the roof during that time. We were stationed uh, in Germany after that. We were in Berlin. And uh, when the Arabs in Embargoed the sale of oil against the U.S. and Western Europe, it really hit hard there because they don't have the resources that we have here. 
And they instituted in Germany a Sunday driving ban. We had to take the bus, public transportation, the U-Bahn and the buses to get to church. Sunday morning, Sunday night, however we did it, we weren't allowed to drive. Only uh, certain vehicles were allowed to drive, kind of like COVID. They determined who was essential and who was not. And uh, that's kind of how we lived. And uh, we were told back in those days that the U.S. would always be dependent upon foreign oil, that there, we would never have enough. We were running out, and uh, that's, that's why we kind of got into the mess that we were in. And lo and behold, if we don't get to the place where because of fracking and things like that and shale, those kind of things, we come to where we can actually have enough and actually export it. Okay, well, all of that changed on Inauguration Day back in uh, 2021, right? And uh, since then, we've seen the shutdown of pipelines and, um, you know, uh, uh, public lands are unavailable now for drilling, those kind of things. And what is the rationale behind all of that that Mr. Biden and his uh, advisors use? We've got to cut down on greenhouse gases and because of climate change, we can't do that. Now, in my mind, I look at that and I go, so you're going to let China do it. And you're going to let Russia do it. And one thing I know about uh, communists is they are extremely environmentally unfriendly. My goodness, if you think that Americans make a mess doing things, you ought to see what communist countries are like. They don't care about the environment, and they don't care about the aftermath of it. And so um, I'm thinking it would probably be better if we did it, and we would do it in a more responsible way than uh, they will do it. But this is all the fuel behind all of this. And when you think about what they say about the environment, it's also affecting our economy, isn't it? As prices go up, there are some people that are happy that the price you pay at the pump is going up because it means you will use less of it. Now, they'll use all they want, and they'll have uh, motorcades and limousines and SUVs, but you, you shouldn't. I got tickled uh, probably about 20 years ago when Barbara Streisand, remember her? She said that we need to quit using our electric clothes dryers because it's hurting the environment. And I just had a chuckle picturing Barbara Streisand at a clothesline. Right? And, and so this is, this is mainly for the little people, not for important people like our government officials or our Hollywood entertainers or anything like that. They take their private jets. They do all of those kind of things while they want you to uh, suffer through all of this. Which kind of brings me to the point to say very few of them believe it. It's just a way they have of keeping you under control. And yet they live the life that they want to live. And all of that. Well, we need to look to the Word of God. Because there's not anybody that I really believe in our government about all of this. And there's uh, not much that really gets my attention about all of this until I read the Word of God. And so I want to do that tonight and, and plug this in with how should we think about all of these things. Psalm 107.33. Okay? If you've got it, say amen. amen. He, now we've got to stop. Who is he talking about? It's got a capital H. 
When you see a capital H-E on here, this is a reference to God. Okay, what does God do? Okay, he turns rivers into a wilderness. Okay, now just to make sure we understand this, when you see wilderness in the Bible, especially in this passage, don't think Daniel Boone. Don't think trees and mountains and forest and all of that kind of thing. That's not what wilderness means in the Bible. Wilderness in the Bible means desert. Nothing but sand. No trees to speak of. Nothing just barren and sandy and hot. Uninhabitable for the most part. And uh, also something that will not support livestock and will not support anything that will grow. And what does he do? He turns rivers, that sounds like a good place to be, into a wilderness, into an uninhabitable desert. Who does that? God does. And the water springs, an abundant supply of fresh water, okay, into dry ground. Who does that? God does it. Okay. Verse 34, a fruitful land into barrenness. Why does he do this? For the wickedness of those who dwell in it. Okay, I'm getting a clue here that God is behind climate change. Okay, Before we read on, let's just understand something. Climate change is real. It has always been here. And the climate always changes. And that's why you can find things from the Ice Age... And, uh, boy, here we find palm trees, you know, that were um, somehow fossilized in a place that is cold. How did that happen? Climate change. These things happen. There are some deserts you can go to, and you can find evidence that at one time there was productive and fruitful life there. What happened? Climate change. It's always been that way. As the world spins, as the world goes around the sun... And uh, all of that, what happens? The climate tends to change. And there are some reasons why it happens in this psalm. And it mentions the wickedness of those who dwell in it. In other words, this is one of the ways that God gets the attention of people on the earth. He changes the climate. It's not your SUV, it's God. And so if you're barking up the tree of of getting rid of SUVs or doing something like that, you're looking at the wrong place. You need to look to the one who created the earth and the one who, the Bible says in Colossians, sustains the earth. So let's pick up and let's read a little bit more in verse 35. He turns, this is an opposite thing. He turns a wilderness, remember that means dry, barren, sandy desert, into pools of water. That's certainly a change, isn't it? And dry land into water springs, these artesian wells. Who does that? God does that. Shutting off your SUV is not going to make a bit of difference about that. Hanging out your clothes on a clothesline is not going to make a difference on that. This is what God does. He goes on to say, There he makes the hungry dwell. Well, that's good. That's where they need to be. Why does he do that? That they may establish a city for a dwelling place. Cities usually go by where water is. right? And sow fields and plant vineyards 
that they may yield a fruitful harvest. I mean, you don't plant your vineyard in a place where it's not going to grow. You plant it where there's water, where there's fertile soil, right? And who does that? God does that. God makes it grow. He also blesses them and they multiply greatly. And he does not let their cattle decrease. So if they're not decreasing, what are they doing? They're increasing. And uh, they tell us today that cattle and the methane that they produce is another reason that we're in trouble. So you need to stop eating beef and stop eating red meat and things like that. I mean, it's just amazing how everything comes down to controlling the average person's life. Again, they're not going to stop. And they're going to keep on. They can afford it. They can do it. But you can't. And there's something more behind all of this that's coming from uh, our government and from these people more than just being concerned about the environment. Now, there are those who are concerned about the environment. They're afraid about all of this. And they tend to worship the environment. You ever heard anyone talk about Mother Earth? Nothing in the Bible about Mother Earth or Mother Nature. You need to take that out of your vocabulary. It's not Mother Nature that does things or Mother Earth. It's Father God that takes care of all of this. So we need to get that in our minds. So looking at this passage of Scripture, we can see as we are going through this that there is indeed a change in climate. Okay? So we'd be foolish to deny that. The Bible records that. Noah's flood is a real evidence of an extreme climate change, right? We see that. We also understand, as we read through this, that there are both positive and negative effects to climate change. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. We also see, as we look through this, that there is a spiritual dimension to climate change. And some of it is caused by sin, all of it is brought about by God. Whether it's sin or not, all of it's brought about by God, but sometimes it's brought about by sin. So with that in mind, let's think about these points. Number one, we'll restate the obvious. Who controls the climate? Now, the Bible says here that He, God, turns um, rivers into a wilderness or desert place and the water springs into dry ground and a fruitful land becomes barren because of what God does. He is the sovereign God. And so he can do this and there are a lot of things that change in life and in our world and in our environment and they change by the hand of God. Now scientists, many of them, uh, it's not fair to say all of them, but many of them don't believe in God and they don't believe in a controlling higher power over the earth. And so, uh, well, you've got to find a reason for it somewhere and you've got to go somewhere to find your uh, explanation for all of these things. Or, you know, if you're a scientist and you can't explain stuff, then we don't really need you. But uh, they've got to do this and they've got to factor God out of the equation. And so then what do you come up with? Well, all kinds of things. And when you go back, you know, hundreds of years, people would blame this on the moon god or the sun god or 
whomever you might choose. And the gods are displeased. This is why this is happening. And uh, now we take all of that out and we say, well, it's because that we are abusing the environment, greenhouse gases, different things like that. And uh, yet here the scripture is very, very clear that it's God who is in control of all of this. He's the one that we see. Now remember, what we find here is that this psalmist in 107 is kind of giving a history of Israel and a reminder to Israel. So we know that this probably can be tied back to Israel's history. Well, let's do that. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1, there was a problem that was going on in the nation of Israel, the northern kingdom of Israel. And there was a king, he was a wicked king. His name was Ahab. And Ahab had a very famous wicked wife whose name was Queen, anybody remember? Jezebel, yeah, nobody names their daughter Jezebel, do they? And so uh, Jezebel and Ahab were worshiping uh, the gods that uh, had the name Baal in front of them. There were a lot of them. That wasn't just one god. And a lot of times we, because we have grown up and we think in a monotheistic, a one-god way, whenever we read in the Bible, we think that they are kind of doing like us just with a false god. Um, no, they, they were polytheists in those days, meaning they believed in many gods, and there were a lot of Baals, a lot of different Baals. And most of the time it had to do with uh, Baal being the weather god, the weather god. He controlled the climate. He controlled the environment. See, there's always been in humanity this idea that God doesn't really control the weather or the climate. There are these other beings, other gods that do that. Or it's, in our day, just greenhouse gas or something like that. But it can't possibly be the God of Israel. But this has been going on for thousands of years. And so this king and this queen were so wicked and so tied into all of this that God finally says, I've had it. And so he sends a prophet. And uh, this prophet was a Tishbite. Haven't met any of those lately, have you? And uh, his name was Elijah. Okay? Now, when we look at the scripture in 1 Kings 17.1, now Elijah, the Tishbite, of Tishbe, now you know exactly where that is, right? In Gilead, that's more familiar, said to Ahab, quote, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And what happened? Quit raining. What happens when you have a fruitful land with plenty of water for your crops, plenty of water for your flocks, plenty of water for the people to drink, plenty of water for your children. All of this kind of stuff is happening, and now there's a drought. Well, we know that. We're in a drought right now here in Oklahoma. How would you like to be in a three-year drought? The Dust Bowl would be the closest thing we probably wouldn't know anything to that. And Ken Burns, the guy who does all of these doc documentaries, he did one on the Dust Bowl. And I uh, watched it. 
It helped me understand my dad a whole lot more because my dad was raised in the thick of it in uh, eastern Colorado. They kept talking about Prowers County, Prowers County, Colorado, even uh, before they would talk about some of the places in Oklahoma. And I kept thinking, I know that name. I know that name. Where, it dawned on me it was on my dad's death certificate. And that's kind of where a lot of it started, and that's why my dad's family had such a hard time during that. Well, then when they show the, uh, uh, the film of the Dust Bowl, good night. It wasn't just a little bit of dust in the air. I mean clouds of that billowing in and people that uh, even lost their lives through all of that. Just a horrible, horrible thing. Okay, That must have been what Israel was like during the time of Elijah. Water is scarce. Water is precious. Livestock are dying. Crops are failing. People are hungry. Uh, kids are extremely skinny. Can you imagine? Three years. Because God says, I'm going to get your attention one way or another. And so who controls all of that? This was God. And so Elijah doesn't show up and say, stop, stop using your SUV. Turn off your air conditioning. No, this is long before all of that. And yet they're having the same things that people are afraid of today. Now what was happening and who was behind it? Elijah made it extremely clear. This is from the God of Israel before whom I stand. And it is not going to rain again until you hear me say it's going to rain again. And that would be at the command of God. Okay, so who's in control of the weather? God is. So every time you hear about that, and every time you think about that, let it be into your mind, God controls all of this. Be teaching your little children and your little grandchildren that God is in control of all of this. We don't understand <clears throat> all of the things that he does, but he is clearly the one who is in control. And let that be in their minds and their hearts before anybody else has a chance to put any... I mean, we're kind of reverting back to paganism and nature worship instead of progressing, aren't we? Number two, one possible cause for negative climate change. Okay? It's not the whole story. It's not the story all the time. But here's one possible cause for negative climate change. And what does the Bible say? The psalmist says, for the wickedness of those who dwell in it, like Ahab and Jezebel. Now, if the Lord were to make an extreme climate change come upon our country, if you think about our sin, and you think about how we've digressed, and you think about all of the things that we are doing now, all of the immorality, all of the sexual perversion, all of the greed, all of the... I mean, we could go on and on and on, couldn't we? Would we deserve it? And the answer would be yes. We certainly would deserve it. But that's not the whole story on everything, but it is in this particular case. In 1 Kings 18, verse 18, Elijah runs into Ahab. And Ahab looks at Elijah and said, There you are, you troubler of Israel. Ahab's kind of like government officials now. Have you noticed nobody wants anything bad to be their fault? It's always somebody else. It's the Democrats. It's the Republicans. It's Putin. It's whoever. It doesn't, never, never is it uh, our fault. And we have trouble with that too. 
Well, Elijah speaks up, 1 Kings 18, 18, and he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you have, and your father's house, because you have abandoned the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. So Elijah is saying, look, you're not going to get off of the hook with all of this kind of stuff. You're the one who brought this on. This wasn't my idea. This wasn't anything that I conjured up. This came from God because he is angry with you and with the people because you have followed false gods. You remember all of those things we've seen in Exodus where God was getting the people ready to go into this promised land? Well, this is generations later, and what are they doing? Violating everything that God said. The Bible even says when Solomon's temple was being dedicated, that one of the judgments would be God withholding rain from the Jews because they were worshiping false gods. Hello, get the picture? And they didn't, and Ahab didn't. And he wanted to blame Elijah like he was some kind of a magician who had caused this to happen when it wasn't the case at all. This was because of Ahab and the people and because of their sin. So when you and I look around, we need to be very, very careful. You remember a few years ago, I can't remember which hurricane it was, but Pat Robertson on the 700 Club prophesied that this was all because of God and his displeasure with the United States. You know what I would say to that? I guess it could be. Do I know that? No, and neither did he. He was just speaking, just to be speaking, and I don't know who he was hearing from, but we don't know. And we need to be careful about saying things that we don't know and we can't substantiate. We may say, I think... And that's a different matter. I think God is doing this to get our attention. I believe this is judgment from the Lord. But uh, we don't really know because the Bible is the completion of God's revelation. And the rest of it we just have to live through. But in this case, in Israel, it was absolutely clear by the word of the Lord recorded for us in Holy Scripture. It was because of their sin. And so whenever we have things that happen in our climate and in our environment, you say, should we confess sin? That is always a good thing to do. That is always a thing to do. Should we examine ourselves? That is always proper because that's biblical. And we need to uh, keep in mind that it could be, and in this case, it certainly was. There was a reason for it. Let's move on to number three. Number three, climate change can be positive it can be a positive hey if you have an ice age and three-fourths of the earth is covered in uh, ice or below freezing it's difficult to keep cattle alive it's difficult to keep pastures green it's difficult to make your crop grow it's difficult to have enough fuel for your fireplace so that's tough but when the climate warms up it's a little easier to raise a crop. It's a little easier to keep cattle satisfied on green grass. It's a little easier as trees grow to have fuel for your fires and for your cooking. It's, it just works out better. And so uh, the Bible talks here about a positive thing. People repent. People get right with God. What does God do? It says, this is the history of Israel. He turns a wilderness. Remember, that's a desert 
into pools of water. That'd be a positive change, wouldn't it? That's a good change. And dry land into water springs. Here's a place dry, cracked. There's no water in it. You can't even dig a well there. And all of a sudden now, over time, that, that thing is, is bubbling up and it's an artesian well full of fresh, cool, clear spring water. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. That's a positive thing. You can irrigate your crops. You can water your flocks. You can take care of your family. You have water for cooking and cleaning and bathing and all of those kind of things. That's a good thing. So climate change is not all bad. Climate change can be positive. And it says there he makes the hungry dwell. As we said earlier, that's a good place for them to be. That's where the food is. And why does he do that? That they may establish a city for a dwelling place. And again... Every major city is along a river or along the coast or something like that because you've got to have water. And sow fields and plant vineyards that they may yield a, not just a harvest, but this word here, it says a fruitful harvest. This is talking about more than you need. Why would you want to harvest more than you could need? So you can share with other people for one thing. So you can sell it and buy other things that you can't grow. Some of you grew up on a farm and you couldn't grow shoes and you couldn't grow uh, clothes for your kids, but you could grow a crop. And if you had enough to feed your family and enough to sell, then you could take the cash that you got from that and you could buy the clothes. That's what he's talking about here, commerce, so that you can prosper, so that you can thrive in all of that. Again, going back to the history of Israel, we'll look at what Moses said in Deuteronomy, that uh, word Deuteronomy, Deuter means two, and the Anomy there is from the word nomos, which means law. It was the second giving of the law. And it's like Moses said, hey, I know I've already said all of this, but before you go into the land, I'm not going with you, remember? I'm going to give you the law again, a second giving of the law. And so this is what Moses gave them to get them ready to go, that second generation to go into the land. 28, verses 10 through 13. And all the peoples of the earth... The other nations besides Israel, the foreigners, shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. Nothing wrong with having other nations afraid of your nation, right? They back off. They don't challenge you. And it goes on to say, and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your womb. That means you're going to have lots of children. Your population is going to increase. You're going to have workers people like that that's always a good thing and in the fruit of your livestock hey your cattle are going to do the same thing so you're going to have an old heifer over here and she's getting ready to have a, a a calf in the spring and lo and behold she had twins that's what he's talking about here that's just more meat or sell one of them more money or give one of them away to the poor whatever you need to do the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground the ground is going to be fertile and produce more than you actually need. And where is this going to happen? He says, within the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give you. The Lord will open to you his good treasury, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations... But you shall not borrow. Why do he say that? Because you're not going to need to. He's telling Israel, if you'll do things my way, you'll be a lender, not a borrower. You're not going to have poverty. 
and the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. Sounds good to me. And you shall only go up and not down if, 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 Moses says, get this, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you today, being careful, diligent to do them. Don't just do them out of habit. Just don't do them just cause. That's what we do. Be diligent to do them. And so when you look at all of that, God says, I'll control the climate so that things are in your favor. Now when Adam and Eve sinned, there was a curse put upon this earth and a curse put upon the environment. You remember what Adam was told? By the sweat of your brow are you going to earn your bread. Adam had never done that before. In the Garden of Eden, the environment worked for him and with him. And now it's working against him. There's bugs, there are animals, there's, you know, too much rain, not enough rain, whatever. When I was in Tuttle, I would meet on Sunday mornings with the chairman of our deacons, and he had about 2,500 acres in wheat every year. And uh, I remember one time we were walking into the church to pray together. And I said, boy, it's a beautiful, sunshiny day. And he goes, yeah, but if we don't get some rain, man, we're in trouble. And then the next week or so, it was raining. And I said, boy, the Lord's been good to give us rain. Yeah, but if it doesn't let up, everything's going to rot in the field. We had a preacher that preached there one time that said, isn't it interesting? Jesus used so many agricultural illustrations in his parables and yet he didn't call a single farmer to be a disciple so you wonder why that is he called fishermen because you never met a pessimistic fisherman he said but you never met an optimistic farmer well this guy was offended by that until I reminded him of what he said when it was sunshiny and what he said when it was raining he goes I do do that, don't I? <laughs> yeah. And so this is an environmental change that is going to bless this agricultural society to the point that they will be able to have money in the treasury to lend to other nations and bless other nations instead of having to borrow. God says it's all contingent on this one thing. Keep my commandments and do it diligently. You worship the Lord. You're calling yourself by my name, then act like it, he said. It's an old story that when Alexander the Great was on his way to conquering the known world, that there was a soldier, a young guy, that uh, kind of got a little PTSD or shell shock or whatever you want to call it back in that day. And um, he didn't fight the way he's supposed to fight, so his commander brought him in to see Alexander the Great. Well, you talk about frightening. And he brought that young man in and said, This is the problem, emperor, and uh, he's a coward. Well, Alexander the Great was having a good day. They'd conquered several uh, square miles of land, and so he's feeling good. And he looks at that uh, young man, and his heart's kind of compassionate. And he says, Having trouble, are you, son? And the soldier goes, yes, sir, I'm, I'm afraid. Are you new in the army? Yes, I am. And uh, it's, it's been hard to get used to it. He goes, well, what's your name? And the boy made the mistake of telling him. He said, Alexander, like yours. And Alexander the Great flew into a rage. And he said, soldier, 
change your conduct or change your name. Christian, you're called by the name of the Lord. Change your conduct or change your name. Isn't that what God is saying in here? You want me to bless you? Be diligent to obey my commandments because, did you notice at the beginning of that little part of Scripture, you are called by my name and the other nations know it. How shameful it is when we advertise ourselves as Christians and then live an unchristian, ungodly life in front of our neighbors. Might be better for them not to know, right? It's sad when that happens. And all of that has an effect on the environment, on the climate that's going on, according to what the Word says. Obey me, I'll bless you. If you don't, then I won't. And then the Scripture tells us that uh, the green agenda, the biggest problem with it is it misses the point. I'm, I'm really not against green energy per se. I'm against it if it doesn't work. I'm against it if it costs more money. I'm against it if it's simply to control lives. But if you can find an efficient way and a way to keep the environment clean and all of that, I'm, we're not against that. That's a, I like clean water, frankly. I like clean air. I remember when we lived in San Francisco when you got outside of San Francisco, maybe went across the Bay Bridge or the Golden Gate Bridge or wherever, and you would look back, you could see a brownish haze hanging over that city. It's not there anymore. I like that. That's not a bad thing. Okay, So we're not against this, but they miss the point. It says, He also blesses them, and they multiply greatly, and He does not let their cattle decrease who's doing that God is God is doing that as a result of their obedience to the Lord and so these people with the green new deal and all of that kind of stuff that goes on uh, they're missing the point now why is it that we would have a problem with any of this let me give you some reasons to think about there's probably a lot more that you could think of but th these are things that came to my mind First of all, because they deny the existence or at least the sovereignty of God. Even for the ones that say, well, I believe in a higher power. Yeah, but you don't believe he can do anything. You're kind of a deist. You think he wound up the clock of the universe and then walked away from it and really can't do anything else. Any of them that do, they don't really believe he's a God who is in active control of the universe that he created and most of them do not believe that he exists at all this causes a problem if we're going to follow something that denies the existence of God and denies the sovereignty of God then Bible believing Christians we have a problem with all of that we can't go along with their agenda because it's just not right here's another thing that's a problem they see earth and its resources as the product of random chance. You know, sometimes I wonder, do some of these, um, I started to say idiots, but that wouldn't be nice. Do they realize that oil is not man-made? It's a natural substance created by 
Mother Earth? They act like it's the enemy, that it's something that we put on the earth to destroy the earth. Well, it's not. It was made by God, put there by God, and put there for us to actually use. It's not by random chance. The earth is not here by random chance. We're not here by random chance. It's not just by the luck of the draw that we are where we are in the uh, solar system and all of that. This is all from God. And this is where they miss it. This is where they veer off. This is where they go absolutely the wrong way. All of the resources that are on the earth are created by God and they are created for us to use. And they see humanity as the ultimate power. Isn't that always the case? When you look through Scripture and look through history, it's man, it's humans, we rule, who is God? Say, how do environmentalists do that? Okay, They think that puny little us... I'm getting way off on my grammar here, have the ability to destroy what God created. I'm going to tell you, put us all together, all throughout human history, if from Adam and Eve, all of the people that ever lived were on the planet right now, we still would not have enough power to destroy what God has created. Because we are not God. We did not create this. And the book of Colossians says that not only did Jesus create it, he holds it together. It consists by him. And folks, this world is not going to end because somebody in Russia or somebody in Washington pushes the wrong button. The earth is going to end when God is ready for it to end and not until then. And whatever it is we need for life, is going to be here and it's going to be available to us as long as God has ordained for it to be here for us. After all, God is the one that said, be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over the earth. Why is it that we use these resources? Because God said we could. Why is it that we do what we do with animals? Because God said we could. Now, we're not supposed to be cruel, and we're not supposed to be wasteful. We're not supposed to do any of those kind of things because they all belong to God. The Scripture says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So we need to be good stewards. Don't hear me say anything about that. You can do whatever you want, anytime you want, to whomever you want. I didn't say that. didn't say that. But I did say God gave those things to us and when you are a theist when you believe in God it changes the way you look at the environment so what's the difference between them and us here it is and we'll be through we believe that God created and owns the earth we believe that God has given the earth for a man to use we believe that God has determined how the earth will end and I might add and when it will end, and that our responsibility is to be good stewards of the earth and its environment, but not to worship it. We worship God and only God. And so we trust God to be our provider, 
So we honor him, and that's the bottom line. For every Christian in the United States, every Christian around the globe, we don't fall for all of this kind of stuff. We honor God, we rest in him, and we trust in him because he and he alone is Jehovah Jireh, our provider. That's how that's translated. And so we've got a God who's not frustrated. He's not looking around. He's not looking for the scraps that he can sweep up. He's not looking to see if they have any leftovers from the last millennium. This is a God who has already planned for your needs, for the needs of the generations to come until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when you watch people on the news and everywhere else panicking and changing everything, just smile, pray for them, and give thanks to God because you're his child. He's in control. And he rules the world with truth and grace. And in him, in him, we find everything that we need. Hallelujah. To God be the glory. And that's what your children and grandchildren need desperately to know. And that's why it's included in the word of God. God wants you to know it so you can tell that to the children. Okay? Heavenly Father, whenever we see people going nuts, going crazy, acting immorally, acting irresponsibly, when we see people that are worshiping and hugging trees and the environment and all of this kind of stuff, I pray, Lord, that we wouldn't look at them with any anger, but we would have compassion on them like Jesus did when he saw the multitudes scattered as sheep without a shepherd. They don't know you as their biggest problem. They don't know you. And I pray we could witness to them, and I pray that they would come to know Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray that some of these scientists and some of these environmental leaders would get saved. And what a stir that would make if that would happen. Oh, Lord, grant it. And help us to be responsible, to be good stewards, not to be wasteful, not to be arrogant about all of this, but to realize this is your earth. This is your world. These are your animals. This is your environment. And to give you thanks every time it rains. To give you thanks whenever we can go to the store and buy the things we need for food. You were the one who created those things and made them abound. Every time we get in our car and start it up or put gas in our tank, may we give you thanks. You created that oil and you created the resources and you gave man the wisdom to use these things. May we do it to your glory. The rest of the world won't, but we can. And I pray that we would. And so, Lord, what a wonderful world you've made. And that just reminds us of what a wonderful God you are. And so we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.